uh, we have been talking about a series called Under Construction. And uh, this has been loosely based on, on the second letter of the Apostle Peter, uh, who he wrote to a church who was going through some stuff. And he lists out a list a number of virtues that can be used to build up the body of Christ. And, and, and if we have been using that as a building project analogy, hence this little model that's been going on here. And uh, so far, uh, we have been looking at the different virtues from February onwards. And in, in February, we looked at the foundation, which is faith. And then in March, we looked at the framework. We looked at this as the concept of goodness. And uh, that, that when you have integrity, you have your character and your conduct both in excellence, in, in excellence sort of form. And, and together, they become integrity. Uh, we've been talking in the last uh, six weeks, today being the final week, on the concept of knowledge and particularly wisdom. And so we have uh, been journeying through Proverbs over May uh, to, to capture uh, different snippets of ideas of what wisdom is and how it works in our lives. And we've started with Solomon, we've, we've, um, we've learned that, uh, that wisdom is a woman, uh, we've, uh, and so is folly. And we choose which one we want to uh, sort of be attracted to. We've, we've, um, you know, we've, we've been put, been able to put a, 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 a baptism and dedication service into it as well. And uh, today we're just going to build again on the idea of just adding more wisdom. This will be a complete wall by the time you see this next week. And uh, so today we'll just add another rung to the to the story. Wisdom is being built. And today, I'm actually looking at a chapter that has actually gripped me in a really big way. I've been excited by it. I've been intimidated by it. I've um, you know, been just blown away by just the, the absolute depth of what that is. And I'm looking forward to coming around that with you in a moment. I also believe that God is actually going to show us a bit of all of ourselves in the character, in the person that we're about to uh, read about. A gentleman by the name of Agur. And I'm really looking forward to interacting with that in just one moment. As I build at the same time. And that is my symbolic gesture. I'll do the rest later on. It's like turning just one, one thing of dirt, like a politician, you know? So, I built that. No, you didn't. <laughs> Proverbs 31, 30, verse 1 to 9 today is what we're going to look at. And uh, I'm going to go piece by piece with this. So, uh, as you read, just keep your thumb in there as we go, um, because there's three parts to this that I think is worth looking at. So, we'll start with verse 1. The sayings of Agur, the son of Jacob, an inspired utterance. This man's utterance to Ithael. I am weary, God, but I can prevail. Surely I am only a brute, not a man. I do not have human understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I attained to the knowledge of the Holy One. Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Whose hands have gathered up the wind? Who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is the name of his son? 
Surely you know. Let me stop there for a moment. The last chapters of Proverbs are credited to some interesting authors. Many theories abound. We have Agur in chapter 30 and we have Lemuel in 31. Lemuel's believed to be Solomon and I sort of see um, some ideas of how that works out. Many theories are around there, but we're not entirely sure of the identity of Agur. This is the only time his name is mentioned in Scripture. Some have tried to think, tried to weave in another idea that this is Solomon yet again with another nickname. How many nicknames does one king need? But another major theory is that many, and many lean towards this, is that this is actually an inquirer about the God of Israel from outside the land. Uh, more likely an Arabian actually inquiring about God. The character descriptions as well as the interesting wording in this proverb can make some, for some really intriguing interpretation. Let me explain it this way. Has anybody here ever been in a conversation, perhaps even walked into the middle of it, where everybody's sentences and everybody's subject matter seems to match up? But then you get to this embarrassing point where you realize you have totally different things in mind. I've done that a few times. Once, back in my steel days, when I was working in the steel industry, I remember talking to one client. And I didn't understand the nature of the guy's business. I thought it was just some you know, very small business. And I'm on the phone to him, and, and, and every month, he would send a lady around who would actually present the, the check to our accounts department, and he would phone ahead. Oh, yeah, um, such and such is going to come and, and pay the, the bill with, and going to pay the monthly account. Never once did he ever describe his, the title of this woman. Never once did he tell us what this woman did. And he always spoke very warmly of her. So I put two and two together in my 21-year-old brain. And one day, this person left the check, the monthly check, but also left something else behind. So I've actually phoned up this client. I'm going, hey, your wife has left something behind. My wife? Yeah, your wife. You know, such and such. You know, she was here. She's paid the bill. She's gone and... That's not my wife. I'm like, hmm... Embarrassing situation. Turns out she's just the delivery driver in, and one of 50 staff that he employed. This proverb can actually come across this way. It's almost like we've walked into the middle of a conversation where we don't have all the context. We know this because through the ages, our Bible translators have had a, have a hard time working this through. We read in the NIV just now, the New International Version, that this is an inspired utterance. And as we read it, it will definitely show to be inspired. In the King James Version, it is described as a prophetic word. That's the language used there. 
Then you go over to guys like Eugene Peterson in the message, and he actually introduces it as the words of a skeptic. The original language has created some challenges for how this is to be read. But even though we've walked into the middle of something here, where all the facts are not at our disposal, everybody agrees that this is clearly a spiritual conversation taking place. In fact, one of the more religiously focused conversations in Proverbs. The conversation is between Agur who seems deep in thought and overwhelmed as he considers his place in the universe and the God who made it all. And Ithiel, someone who appears to be a godly confidant of some, some type, at the very least a peer, but perhaps an instructor of some, of some description. And as we see the nature of the statements being made here, there is this mysterious and beautifully poetic thing going on here where both the sceptical seeker and the overwhelmed believer can resonate with the conversation at hand. It is one of those conversations where the ambiguous text and the ambiguous context can actually add strength to what is being said here. So, as an ambitious thing that has captured my mind all week, that I've been wrestled with night and day, I'm going to go, why don't we try both? Let's explore both perspectives this morning as we look at this passage of Proverbs together. We enter the conversation where Agur is acknowledging his human frailty and limitation. Just to help us all stay on point. From a skeptical seeker perspective, this frailty can be read in a rather hopeless way. I'm just a glorified mammal, I'm more beast than man. Therefore, the wisdom or even the will to consider the divine is beyond me. I don't have any business pursuing those things. I'm not even sure there's a God out there who has interest in pursuing me. When I think about God, it's all too distant and all too hard. And yet, I think there's something out there I still have to consider. We can also read it from an overwhelmed believer perspective. God, the more I consider who you are, the more I try to take it all in, the more I realize how little I really know. Who's been in that spot? <laughs> I look in the mirror and I see an unwise brute when I expect in some ways to see something better smiling back at me. I get close to you and then I do something dumb and mess it all up. I get a glimpse of your grace and your glory and your mercy. And I'll walk away from that. And instead of grace, I'll cling to human logic. 
I'll use my own reason to live out my faith. And instead of clinging to grace, they end up just living this lifestyle of trying harder all the time. I love you, but I also have this tendency to keep my distance as well. I know you, but I'm also deeply overwhelmed by what I don't know. No matter what perspective or context we're dealing with here, one thing is clearly evident. This is an honest, transparent, and introspective discussion going on. And this is further... further um, impacting here by this deep observation about what they believe an overwhelming, majestic God would be like. We've got a God who ascends and descends. In other words, he is mysteriously majestic and personal at the same time. He's a God who made the world and holds the elements in his hands. He's a God who has a name and a God who has a son. The skeptical seeker in this proverb is caught up here, aware that something has to be out there. Somebody has to be holding all this together. And yet they consider themselves too beastly to even ponder who he is. Does he even exist? Does he have a name? Is the creator so accessible to a brute like Agur that Agur could know him and call out to him? The overwhelmed believer is equally swept up in all this. All the knowledge and all the wisdom of this world cannot compare to the one who does these things. And indeed, the God who made the world and the God who can harness the wind and the waves, the God who resides in both heaven and earth, is the one who also knows Agur deeply and makes himself known. And it overwhelms him. It shows just how small and how limited Agur truly is. And it leaves him asking, does such a God really want to know him like that? Some of us, well, let's be honest, all of us here at some point have asked questions like these. And if we're getting into the true fabric of our surroundings, we've had them asked to us. In car trips, in pastor's offices, in coffee shops, in house churches, in lunchrooms and classrooms across the city. These questions have been asked and asked of Christians. All of us have felt overwhelmed by the majesty and the presence of God at some point. All of us have lamented our own frailties. All of us have been both the skeptic and the seeker. All of us have had the loaded questions and all of us have been asked them too. So if all that is true, it's actually appropriate to read on here because the next part is actually the response 
of the instructor. You'll notice even in the punctuation of the NIV that there's actually separate um, uh, talking marks, whatever you call those things, uh, in, around the paragraphs there. Because it's actually depicting a conversation. This is the second part. If the L replies this way. I think I have a delay here. So can you just go to the next slide for me, please? Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will rebuke you and prove you to be a liar. That's Ithael's response to this situation, to these questions. The instructor answers the skepticism by actually bringing simple wisdom back to Agar's deep and searching questions. The God who said these things and presented himself in this way is a perfect and faithful God. When God speaks, he doesn't waste oxygen. He means what he says. And wisdom is found when one stops trying to work it all out and instead simply takes God at his faithful word. The skeptic is trying to figure it all out before he believes. And then wonders why he finds himself unable to do so. The believer is getting as much knowledge as he can to the point of being overwhelmed with it all. One guy I've been reading and interacting with a bit lately is Graham Buxton in Adelaide. He writes that pastors and even believers need permission to live with uncertainty, with mystery, with ambiguity, with paradox. If Agur acts on his haste to work it all out, there is a real risk whether he be a skeptic or a believer, that he'll actually find himself putting words in God's mouth in order for their limited minds to have it all tucked away neatly. If we want to have it all tidied away and go, I have worked this out, there's a real chance you'll be writing checks that God has no intention of cashing. They will have reduced who God is in this. Another guy I've read once suggested that if, if we have God completely worked out, if we think that, we either humanize God or we deify ourselves. So instead, the instructor, Ethel, calls us to lean into the mystery of it all. For him... Wisdom is not about working it all out, having all the answers, but taking refuge and being shielded in the faithful word of God. He simply says, take God at his word. That's where wisdom is found. Because when we enter that place, we actually see for ourselves how faithful and true and safe he really is. And the pressure to try harder or languish in our frailties and our limitations, all that gets lifted off of us. And we find protection 
and we find a safe place to grow in the wisdom that we actually need for a godly life. So Agur has questions. He's either a skeptic or he's a believer struggling. Ithael brings a very simple response to that. He goes, you know what? Just get back to the Word of God. He's faithful. The next part shows us how Agur responses. This is actually him coming back. This is, we're back to Agur's words now. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. The skeptic is taking Ithael's instructions to heart here. And so is the overwhelmed believer. This is a recited prayer. Some suggest it's actually a liturgy that Ithael suggested he go ahead with. And it indicates trust and refuge. No longer is there a drive to work it all out, but there is a new thing taking place instead. There is a wonderful irony here that wisdom takes us back to the basic things. He says this, instead of me working things out and finding my own truth, I'm going to treat your words as truth. I'm going to trust you and hold the light to trust you to hold the lies at bay. If wisdom is taking God at his word, then the natural outcome of that will be that lies and falsehood would not take a foothold. The more we hide in the truth of God's word, the more the lies don't get in. You get on social media and there are Facebook pages everywhere dedicated to exposing the lies of false teachers in the church. Heretic watch pages. Heretic hunters. Anti this preacher, anti that preacher. I'm a fan of satire and comedy. And one of my go-to pages, even they feed the beast a bit the minute they make fun of a preacher. Oh my goodness, the comments. As disciples, our challenge is not to look all over the place to analyze the lies of others. It's actually to fix our gaze and be shielded by the truth of God. David in Psalm 1 calls it a daily practice of delighting and meditating in God's law. Wisdom is found in delighting in truth, not trawling for lies. This even applies when correction has to happen in our own midst. If we just lead people back to the Word of God, the Spirit of God does something and keeps them safe from the lies. It's amazing. If we, we, if we can spend forever going, that's, un, that's not true, that's not true, that's not true, that's not true. How about we put some time into going, this is what truth looks like. And then we actually disciple people forward in that. In that simple place of delight, the wisdom of God's truth leads to complete dependence. 
Agur goes on to simply ask for daily bread. That's actually a phrase Jesus uses in the disciples' prayer. For Agur, this means a happy medium between poverty and riches. He realizes how corrupting both those extremes can be and is happy to be in that place where many Jews of the time would have considered blessed. To have enough for himself and his neighbor. To have enough to be thankful. To have enough to not defraud or steal from others. And to have enough to bring honor to his God. I'm going to come to a close at this time. But I believe the Spirit wants to speak today. Agur is one of two people. A skeptical seeker, wanting to work it all out before he believes. Or he's a believer who was looking at his faith a little bit the wrong way. Both of those outcomes will leave us intensely overwhelmed and will only show up how limited we are in trying to fathom the mysteries of God. As we come to the end of this section on wisdom, we find at the end of it all, wisdom is simply clinging to the truth and the faithfulness of God's word. Understanding that his word is simply an extension of his character. In that place of refuge, we find that his truth leads us to depend on him more and more. There's the old hymn, the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. The so-called wisdom of the world that is mingled with lies and falsehood will simply be held at bay by the shield of God's words. I believe the Spirit wants to ask a question this morning to us. Are you an agur this morning? And if so, which one? Are you the seeking kind today? Perhaps a little bit on the outside looking in with Jesus. God himself wants you to know him as truth. But until you believe and trust him, you're only going to be on the outside looking in, and this will be an overwhelming thing. There's a great question in this proverb that actually does have an answer for us today, more so now than back then. Does God have a name? Does he have a son? And the answer is yes to both. It's Jesus. The same one who described himself as the way, the truth, the life. And if you're a seeker, overwhelmed by big things, will you simply trust Jesus this morning? Surrender to him. Or are you the overwhelmed believer kind this morning? In your efforts to work things out, you realize you might be in a rut with your faith walk that you are not happy about. 
Perhaps you are approaching faith by simply trying harder. Because you've got to learn, you've got to learn, you've got to work it out, you've got to work it out. And the more we work it out, and the more we have this head knowledge build up, the less we understand of grace. There are mysteries that we embrace in Christ. The mystery of how salvation works in our lives, the mystery of the Trinity, the mystery of the resurrection, the mystery of the gospel of grace. Things we take shelter in with the shield of faith. Things we don't fully understand, yet we know them to be completely faithful and true. Because God said it. And maybe, just maybe, there are some agers in here today that God is simply going, listen, relax and just come back to simple truth again. Come back to God's word. Come back to that place of trust in what he has to say. Even if you don't get it, know that he is faithful. And you can be secure. You can have refuge in that. You can have shelter in that. You can be shielded in that. It's awesome that our story of wisdom starts with Solomon stating how limited he is and how he wants to be a person of justice. And these last two chapters kind of take us to that end. We have a seeker or a young disciple struck by his limits in light of a God who must be out there. And to, agree, to a degree, he's probably looking for wisdom in all the wrong places here. Both Solomon and, and Agar are both called to find the wisdom they need in God's word. And both being agents of right and justice as a result. Agur considers him blessed in that middle space so that he can behave justly in the eyes of God and also if he's blessed, he has enough for himself, he has enough for his neighbor. And then Solomon, likely Lemuel, in chapter 31, describes wise justice as the ability to speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves. It's amazing how it starts with limitation and starts with justice and ends with trusting God through the limitations and learning wise justice. It's an amazing journey of wisdom right there. Let's stop, let's pray.